Trenches. Welcome to Reality Check, a podcast for accountants, hosted by Shay Thayer and Rebecca Mahalik. In this podcast, we dive deep into important topics and moments worth celebrating in the accounting industry. This show is brought to you by From the Trenches, Real Life in Accounting. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Reality Check with Shay and Beck. My name is Shay Thayer, Head of Accounting at Intuit, and I am joined today, as always, by the fabulous Rebecca Mahalik. How are you, Beck? I'm good. Thanks, Shay. I am a Director at Business Depot and I am the Head of Accounting at Ignition. Not Head of Accounting at Intuit, as I found out I was once introduced on this podcast accidentally. Uh Oh, my goodness. There is such value in going back and listening to your own content. And I just facepalm, head desk, all of them. How do you delete that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> can we edit that? I'm so sorry. We can both, ah, we can both be head of accounting and ignition. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I don't even know where we work this morning. Oh, my goodness. I have been thinking about, actually, I've had massive FOMO. And you know why, back because I'm now stuck at home in Radelaide for a number of weeks after having a very, very minor procedure on my eardrum. But that means I can't fly, so I can't go anywhere, which is, you know, I'm excited about being in Lorna James for a number of weeks and dressing from the waist up. It's rather luxurious. However, anyone that knows me knows that I get massive FOMO about most things. So I have to live vicariously through so many of you. So what's coming up, Beck? What are you excited? What's coming? Tell me about something cool that you're going to go and do or that anyone else is going to go and do that I can live vicariously through you. I mean, it's not really a super cool thing, I suppose, but I'm actually just excited with flying again. And I know that sounds like I'm rubbing it in your face, Shay, but I'm like getting on two planes this week and I'm really excited about hanging out in Qantas Club again and just having those few minutes to myself, sit down, have a drink, have something to eat, check some emails, and then getting on a plane and pretending I have no ability to check my emails and ignore everybody for a couple of hours. So I like this part of my life and I'm enjoying it's coming back and I'm looking at it now and I have a lot of trips between now and the end of the year. So between Brisbane, Melbourne, I might even sneak one into Adelaide and come say hi and few little roundabout gigs in Australia. So I'm just excited to be getting up and out again generally. So nice. When I was coming back from Sydney the other week, actually, when you're heading home and you've had a week or you've had a couple of weeks and you're just like, I just want to be at home. I don't feel great. I've got a lot on. I know I'm going home to a lot. And I roll up at Qantas Club and she says to me, oh, do you have a pass? And I was like, no, lady, like I am a member. And I didn't say that, obviously, but my face probably said that. <laughs> Anyone that's ever met me in real life knows that I have a bit of a resting bitch face. <laughs> I don't mean it on the inside. I'm very kind. And she's like, no, you don't have a membership. So it must have expired. So I got, this is clearly not my worst on ground today, but it should be because I was so irritated. Just wanted to sit down and have a quiet moment. And my membership must have expired. And I didn't get an email. I didn't get a text message. I didn't get notification. And then I can find no record. I have no record of ever having a membership. So I was very annoyed. Having said that, as I said, I'm not going to be traveling for a number of weeks. So I don't really need it. So I'll figure that one out later. But you just reminded me of how irritated I was. Goodness me. Beyond my six weeks of not flying, I am very excited about the upcoming Women in Finance Awards. 
womeninfinanceawards.com.au. Last year, big shout out to Miriam Holm, proud Radeladian. I am from Adelaide. If you didn't know, I will remind you every single episode. She took out the Excellence Award and the Accounting Consultant of the Year Award last year. Now, on the topic of FOMO, last year I had mega FOMO also because I don't know if anyone remembers, but at that time, all of the sort of COVID and state border rules and stuff were just in a state of flux. They were all over the shop. And as the big, big corporate entity that Intuit is, all of our rules get set from California. So at the time, even though I had sort of clear path to travel from Adelaide to Sydney, I wasn't allowed to. So I had to record the opening speech from my office in black tie, fully dolled up, which I said, so I had the like most ridiculous FOMO, but it did make for a very entertaining school pickup that afternoon. The girls just laughed at me and thought I looked utterly ridiculous in the daylight <laughs> at 3.15 in the afternoon in black tie. But anyway, so pop it in your diaries, cocktail luncheon at the star on the 3rd of November. I'm excited. I will be there. I love that it's a lunch as well. I don't know about you, Beth, but eight o'clock, I'm done. Oh, yeah. I love the idea of a lunch. The last accounting awards, by the end of the night, I was just so out of it. I was just exhausted. But then there is this feeling you're with your friends, they've won awards, there's lots of things going on, so you want to stay for a bit. So I'm way too old to be rolling off to my hotel room at midnight. I can't do that shit. (laughs) And I think was the last one, I think you and I were together and I remember rolling in and it was 3 a.m. and I thought, (gasps) How did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't do that anymore. You've had a way longer than me. Oh, my goodness. And shout out to our friends, your friends. Why can't I think of his name? He's my favourite human from Queensland, John. John Knight. John Knight. And some other lovely chap that we met that was from Perth, I think, having a lovely, sophisticated beverage after the awards. That was a great night. So... I don't know about you, Beth, but there's one thing, and this is a phrase that my husband uses all the time, so forgive me if it is weird, really gets me in the feels. He says, this one gets me in the feels and this topic gets me in all the feels. And so just to like really lean into the stereotype of being an overly emotional female, payroll gets me in the feels, all the feels. I hate payroll. It frustrates me. There's an element of gratefulness that I'll talk about as well and some other things peeve me. So the reason I was thinking about payroll is because I was reading this article in Accountants Daily about the Fair Work Ombudsman and all of the recoveries they've been doing and all of the amazing work that they've been doing. And it just reminded me. So I used to be a financial controller. I hate payroll. I hate hate payroll because... I don't know well. I think everyone knows now about me that my attention to detail is not my greatest skill set, particularly when I introduce my co-host as being head of accounting at the organisation that I actually work for and not she actually worked for. And so because of that, I just always get the most amount of anxiety around payroll. And I've just learned that when you stuff up payroll, it is like the easiest way to upset staff and just destroy your culture. And so that's why I hate payroll because just with that sort of controller hat on, just going, ew, no, oh gosh. And it's so complicated. Even if it's not, there's always just so many intricacies. And so I absolutely hate it. And so I was reading this article and 
part of me was feeling so grateful that we do have these checks and balances in our system in Australia. And I know I'm going to hear, <laughs> I can hear Alexi Boyd saying, it's so complex. How can small business sort of be expected to navigate all of this? But I do feel grateful that the Fair Work Ombudsman takes this name and shame approach. And I know that sounds really, really nasty and tough, but it's for the purpose of catching those intentional bad actors, of course, we should absolutely name and shame them, but also those that are willfully ignorant. Like there's absolutely no excuses for the Woolworths and the Coles and the CBAs and all of those incredibly wealthy organisations to be underpaying anyone that works for them. There's never an excuse, but if there's like a hierarchy of no excuse, it's organisations like that. So in terms of the feels, I feel super grateful that we have those sort of things that sit around sit around payroll. But when I think about staff being underpaid, it just makes me so angry. I can't even. Like I understand that the cost of business is going up because the cost of living is going up, but there's never an excuse to underpay your staff. And I also understand that in Australia, our whole payroll environment is just so complex and I get that it's a massive, massive compliance burden. But I don't think there's one business that can afford to lose a staff member at the moment. Like everyone is crying out for staff and so we do have to hang on to them for dear life. So, you know, if we're mucking around with their pay, we're not getting them right, we just absolutely can't. Look, I agree with everything you just said, Shay, except, yes, it is complicated. There is help. And that's the part that really bugs me about some of these people. And like you said, those who are, you know, willfully complicit in not doing the right thing. If you are going to go to the effort to start a business and employ people and you don't know what you're doing, then ask. There are so many tools available to you. Your accountant can help with some of the basics. There is fair work is amazing. They're fantastic. You contact them. They give you the information that you need. They have more calculators on their website than I can count. Yes, pay rates change. If you can't keep on top of it, then buy software that will do it for you or help you out. These tools exist. You know, we've used Tander, Deputy, a whole range of other products. Tander recently saved all of my clients' lives when they just updated all the pay rates overnight. It just happened. The awards changed and the rates got up to date and my client's staff are being paid correctly. But I think that what you'll find is a lot of them actually come down to this really, really basic thing where they're just not paying the super and pays to go withholding. If you get the complicated parts, they're not paying those basic parts of an employee's remuneration and they're getting themselves in trouble and they're just going through paying net wages. If they're even declaring some of it, the cash economy still exists in Australia regardless of what the government's tried to do to stamp it out. And for small businesses, a lot of them are not employing in really, really complicated situations. They don't have these fancy enterprise bargaining agreements they have to try and stay on top of. It can be much simpler. They generally, for a lot of them, only have to comply with an award or with fair work. If they don't have the tools to do that, then they need to seek the advice. Otherwise, they probably shouldn't be in business. Now, I know that that's going to upset a lot of people out there, but it is a reality. If you don't know what you're doing and if you can't afford the help, then your business is not viable. I wish I could high-five you right now. I totally agree. I really, really agree. And one of the things, one of my other sort of feels around this is I get a bit peeved. And the reason I get peeved is because I'm always going to be a massive supporter of any technology that we can 
adopt that can assist us and enable us to do all these things better. However, it annoys me and it peeves me off that we have had cloud accounting software in the market that has suggested to small business that they could do their payroll themselves. Now, I want to be really careful about how I position this because it's not about one brand. I think there's probably multiple brands that have sort of done a bit of this. But in my opinion, if you, unless you've had your setup checked, so unless you've had the configuration of your payroll checked, so that's the payroll engine itself, any integration of any cool things like Tando or Deputy or anything that works on the front end to inform the inputs of your payroll, unless you've had that checked and you've had your processes informed by someone that really, really knows their stuff, I don't think you should be doing your own payroll. I don't think you should. So unless, like, literally you've gone to... Um, whoever is a specialist, I can't think of someone off the top of my head, but you've gone to your accountant and you know that they're a specialist in payroll and they say, right, this is it, precisely how it should be set up. These are the really important things that you need to check before you hit that button on your payroll to make sure you're not underpaying anyone, that you're not creating compliance risk for yourself. To your point, Beck, you know, those things that you're talking about, not paying super, not paying your PAYG, that can be the end of your business. If you're a company director, that's the serious naughty corner. So it's not just people being underpaid. You threaten your entire livelihood. I think there's sort of like an overinflated sense of confidence that software has given us that it does it for us. I don't disagree that it's an amazing enabler, but We've got to make sure the configuration is right. We've got to make sure because it's still garbage in, garbage out, right? And personally, there's too many tools that are too easy to break and you wouldn't know. If you don't know, you wouldn't know that it's wrong. And if you don't know that it's wrong and it just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, I mean, one of my favourite things about single touch payroll is the fact that it does, like it does send the information rolling year to date. Like I know how much that upset so many people when they said they were doing it. I was like, no, that's amazing because if you need to make any adjustments and often like adjustments are just part of life. It happens with the buzz cycle. It happens with all of it, right? You can catch it up and nothing breaks. It's okay. I think that's just my biggest frustration is, and this is why payroll as a concept is my worst on ground because I hate it, but it's really important. And it's, it's really important, but I hate it. I just think unless particularly if you're in small business, if you're not like a guru in payroll, make sure you have a wing person that is your guru in payroll. Thank you to Content Snare for supporting this episode of Reality Check. Content Snare makes it easy for accountants to collect information and documents, use it for your client onboarding, month-end checklist, or collating end-of-year tax documents. With all files in one place, your team can get back to work instead of chasing clients for missing documents and information. Sign up for Content Snare's free trial today at www.contentsnare.com. To get 50% off for three months, use promo code REALITY. Sign up today. Because it's just not worth the risk. Absolutely. I completely agree. And there is support out there. And even if you think you know everything, it changes. So go check. And if it's not just with your accountant, check with Fair Work. Reach out to an IR lawyer if you have something complicated. And yes, you need to spend some money, but 
too bad. You're going to need to send, spend some money. It is what it is. It's the decision you made when you just wanted to be an employer. You take on that right responsibility for other people's lives. And that's what's at stake here. So I love that as a worst on ground because I completely agree that we need to do a lot better with payroll in this country. And we are interestingly enough, though, my worst on ground almost backtracks a little bit on what we've just talked about, sort of, because I'm actually going to whinge about, I've just said that businesses have all this support around employees and employment, whereas I'm not going to complain about the complete lack of support that the building and construction industry currently has in Australia. And I know that's going to upset a lot of people because, you know, we look at the building industry, they're they're a bunch of shonky guys who are ripping off everybody. They don't pay anybody well. Apparently, you know, they're breaking rules. It's unsafe. There's always a drama. We've got buildings in Sydney that were built so dodgily that towers are going to crack. Like, that's problematic. I understand that completely. But I work with clients in the construction industry. I don't work with the really, really big guys, but I work with the guys who, when those bigger guys and these other businesses go under, I work with the people that that affects. I work with the businesses that aren't going to get their couple hundred thousand or their 500,000, whatever it is paid when a construction company goes into liquidation. Now, Particularly, I've seen a lot of this in New South Wales recently to the extent that I was in a creditors meeting with one of my clients last week. So there is this thing happening in the building construction industry where, particularly in the residential industry, if a business looks like it's been insolvent or is having some solvency issues, even if they've stopped trading, they lose their license because they lose their insurance. So that actually takes away their ability to trade out, even if they went into administration, even there if there are other options. This is a huge problem because it means that when the building industry, and they're struggling at the moment, they've had problems with supply, They've got problems with staffing like everybody else has. Their costs have risen more than anybody else's. There's not actually the basic products around to even build a house anymore. There's not enough. And they've got fixed price contracts that they're having difficulty breaking or changing. And there's a lot of issues going on in that industry. Their margins are super, super tight now. A lot of them are not making any money. But this lack of support that's there to help them try to recover or to trade through means that all the people that they touch are being impacted. And this is my worst on ground. It's like, how do we fix this? How do we help these people? How do we help these homeowners? Or how does a government or somebody step in and help these homeowners who are losing money or losing their lives because they put a deposit down to build a house and the builder's gone bust and they have absolutely no options because it, you know, potentially even their build is not insured because the builder could have been found to be trading insolvent at that point in time that they signed their contract. So they're not covered by home warranty insurance. Then we move on from that to all the people who supply that industry. This is a 90-day terms industry. Contractors work on these builds. They pay their workers every single week or every fortnight and they get paid 90 days later at best, sometimes 120 days. So they're already carrying that weight and then now that's gone they're not going to get paid that money. And it's ridiculous. So I'm assuming that this whole, uh, and look, I'm not an expert in this particular space whatsoever, so forgive my newbie questions, but I'm assuming this losing your licence trigger is designed to encourage companies in the building industry to stay well away from anything that smells like cash flow pressure. Absolutely. And so what you're saying is, yeah, and it's 
working how it was intended, but the consequences given the circumstances like economically at the moment are just meaning there is just widespread hardship. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I and all the rules that exist around that industry were put in place for a reason. And I'm not saying that they should be abolished, but it needs to be a semblance of reality of our situation. And there was actually a fantastic article in Accountants Daily on this same topic where I can't remember her name, but there was a lady from CPA, same sort of opinions here in regards to the fact that we need some change or some leniency, because even at the moment, there are options for businesses going into voluntary administration to go through a restructure. Those, because of these licensing and insurance issues with construction companies, that's being taken away from them. So even if they do potentially have a viable business, being able to get through this is becoming tougher and tougher. And I'm really concerned we're just come out of COVID. We're not really out of COVID, if we're honest, but the economy starts to look like we're getting back to a little bit of normality. But we've only just started with this rolling insolvency that I can see happening in the building construction industry. Every time I open the paper in New South Wales, there's another small home builder that's going under and it's just going to keep on going unless there is somebody who's going to step in and help them out, make some changes. And that's a huge employer as an industry as well. Like it's not just the companies themselves, but all their subbies that rely and a lot of the time you know a lot of those subbies are overexposed from certain companies right like we hope they're meeting all of their I don't even know what the rules are now the 80% rule or whatever it is but yeah we hope that they are reasonably diversified but practically speaking that's pretty tough especially if you get you know you have a good relationship with a particular company so I guess the impact on so many families is pretty massive pretty massive that's a ripping worst on ground from you back yes it is and it's uh you know building construction industry something i've played in my whole entire life even as an accountant my husband's started off in the building industry and my whole family's in it so i understand it not just the shonky side but those people who are in there just doing a good job or trying to and trying to do the best and they're not immune even when you've done the right thing the whole way through you're not immune to what's going on in the economy right now but you don't have any help and so how, like if you, because you are quite specialised in this space, if you had a client that was starting from scratch, what would be your advice to them? There's a whole range of different things. And for particularly in the construction industry, because your payment terms are so long, my biggest piece of advice is make sure you don't go into this with your blinkers on. You need to have capital. If you're going to have to supply and you're going to have to pay, you need to go into it with cash and understand what that is going to look like. What is your working capital? Not just for one month, like four or five months at least. In this right now, I would be scared to tell anybody to chuck their hat into the construction industry at the moment. But I always told any of my tradies who came to me or anybody setting up a new business in that space is you have to have working capital for a decent period of time. What does that look like? If you, and it's the same thing that you have to go through in any size business in that industry. If you're winning a big project, what is the working capital we need for this? And as much as humanly possible, don't borrow for it or don't borrow at ridiculous rates because that will cripple you too. Yeah, right. Amazing. Wow. I'm just reflecting and because I've had quite a bit of caffeine this morning like I, clearly our listeners can't see me but like the, all the sparks are firing but the words are not coming out of my mouth I had a bit of a moment last night listening to another podcast and I just wanted to talk about that in the context of my best on ground 
again, like nothing to do with accounting whatsoever, but something that's very near and dear to you and I back. So I was listening to Negative Camber, the motorsport show. For those of you who do know me, my husband is in motorsport. He's absolute motorsport nut. If the TV is on, it's normally sounds something like this. My home spent many a Sunday night going to sleep to the sound of the Formula One. And that is just the way our household works. So he does a podcast with a friend of his who also happens to work on my team at Intuit named Jamie Lemura. And last night they piped up in the middle of their show. So for a bit of context, they're two white guys doing a, a white guy show about motorsport. It is is what it is. It's amazing. I find it very entertaining. And they do that on live community radio every second Sunday. So Radio Italia Uno Adelaide. And what they were talking about was the fact that, okay, to set some context, we've had a change in government in South Australia. Peter Malinaskis is in. I went to school with Peter. He's an amazing human. They have beautiful values in their family. I just think he's great. He's brought the Adelaide 500 back. So for those of you who are not familiar with this motorsport thing this is the supercars coming back to Adelaide on the street track it means that for almost a quarter of the year there's some pretty inconvenient things that happen from a uh, like a roadworks perspective around the CBD a bunch of old fuddy-duddies get grumpy about it but realistically it brings like an absolute shed ton of people to the city it's sort of around that fringe time as well so it's like really really amazing event for the state what was recently announced was the artists. Everyone gets really excited. Who's, who's what bands are going to be playing? It's going to be so cool. That's certainly the thing that excites me the most because I kind of like the cars, but not really. I like the artists and the rest of the entertainment. Eight bands, one female, one not white. And it's just not acceptable. So these two guys have picked this up. And I just loved listening to their discussion. We were talking about this in our last show, Beck, just the amount of courage that it actually does take for our guys to come out and talk about diversity stuff, right? Normally they don't feel protected. They don't feel safe. They feel like they're sort of giving up sometimes. They feel like they're giving up a bit of their manhood or the things that they've been raised to feel entitled to. And these guys were great. So the whole context was not even just recently, but over the last few years, the spectatorship around motorsport has diversified massively, never mind the massive, massive numbers of women that we now see participating in motorsport. My husband says it the best, and I'm going to absolutely muck this up and he's going to roll his eyes at me, but motorsport is the only sports where men and women can compete on a level playing field. You just get in a car and you go. Like literally your helmet's on and your gender doesn't matter. You can race wherever, in whatever class, wherever you want to, which is amazing. And we've also got this Netflix effect where Drive to Survive has done so much for Formula One and there's just such a breadth of audience now and such a diverse audience. So a huge miss, a huge miss for the, I don't even know what they're called, the organising committee or whoever is the boss of the, the Adelaide 500, eight bands, one female, only one Indigenous, just not white. There are a bunch of white blokes, seven bands, white blokes, and it's just not acceptable. So my best on ground goes to Negative Camber, the motorsport show, for having a really beautifully balanced and robust conversation about this, really logical in reflection of the spectatorship of the sport. Go you good thing. I love it. Massive respect. I think that's fantastic. And this is 
the conversations that we need to have and keep on having. We need people from both sides of the fence, if there's a fence, to jump on and talk openly. And like adults, it says it needs to be a screaming match, but we need to call it out. When you see something you're not comfortable with or you see something that it's a, shouldn't be happening in this day and age, then call it out. And I understand that there might be this section of society that looks at that and says, well, why should these middle-aged white men miss out just because of the sake of equality? Well, until there is a period of time where representation might need to be forced and thought about and you make sure that you're consciously picking people who are of a diverse background and you can see that equality until we go through a long period of time of having that in place, it's never going to happen naturally because we're just used to seeing that same white face everywhere. And I think that it's absolutely beautiful that you've had two of those people who I've just described in horrible ways have a robust conversation about this and point out that it made them uncomfortable as well. Like you couldn't get a more manly blokey spore, right? Like traditionally, if you think about traditionally, this is rev head stuff. This is Ford versus Holden. This is sweaty, drinking out of cans, you know, that kind of thing. It is just such a different environment now and I just like clearly my husband has to listen to me you know setting brows on fire every five minutes in my house and my two girls like bless him he's so uh, he's so open he's actually a very broad-minded human I just think that was amazing and I cannot wait to get hold of that grab stick it on LinkedIn tag my mate Pete and see if we can make something change and awesome And on that totally unrelated to accounting (laughs) conversation, my vest on ground is totally unrelated to accounting as well and sport related, sort of. So the AFR had this fantastic article in it in the last couple of days. It's called Ted Lasso's Leadership Lessons for CEOs. Now, Ted Lasso is a show on Apple TV. I don't know if it's anywhere else. I watch it on Apple TV. It is fantastic. There were two seasons it ran. It was about this American football coach. So, you know, American football, big bulky men running around and tackling each other in very aggressive formats, being recruited by this brilliant woman in the UK who's running a, quite spitefully, but running a uh, football club in the UK. Now, that's not American football. It's what people commonly refer to as soccer. Now, her name's Rebecca, so as well, legend lady. Love this woman. She's incredible. And she hires this guy to come over and find she's hired him to come over to destroy the team because she's a little bit bitter, not going to go into the whole story. But he came over and through his leadership, he knew nothing about what he was doing, but through his leadership and the way that he spoke to his team and engaged his team and was there for them, over the course of two seasons, they get where they need to go without totally giving it away to everybody. Now, this speaks to me for a few reasons. Clearly, love the show. The leads are fantastic. It's good quality to watch. Also love the sport. Both my kids play soccer. My daughter is a goalie and she's incredible. And my son plays as well. And they both actually just won their games on the weekend and going to the final. So very, very exciting for me. So big soccer fan here. But this article is so good because its focus was on leadership. Now, while that might not be specific to the accounting industry, it still applies. 
So any business and your firm is a business. And if you're a leader of people, you need to focus on a whole range of different things, particularly nowadays. So employees have choice. They have choice of where they're going to go. The labor market is tough. But a lot of people are particularly in these next generations and particularly during a time of turmoil. Life is hard. Life is shit right now. They are looking for something more than a boss who is going to bark orders at them. They want to be engaged. They need to have a leader who is there, who is thoughtful, who is inspiring them, and also very realistic. That's the part that I really liked about this article. There is a sentence in here, Ted's very focused on the longer-term goals, but realistic about expectations around the things that he as a coach or his players can control. Now, that part spoke to me because there are so many things that can go wrong today that are completely out of our control. And getting your knickers in a knot over it and yelling at your staff or carrying on is not cool. What you need to be doing is really focusing on what you can and cannot control and just rolling with the punches. And I love this article. It's fantastic. I love that. And I often think about that quote and I've talked to the girls about it a lot that says, you can't control the things that happen to you and you are allowed to feel how you feel, but you are the boss of how you respond and you are the boss of your behaviour. And I love that. And I think that's so important from a leadership perspective. And it's something that as a pretty, like my team will tell you that I'm emotional because I am, I'm really passionate about what I do. I get excited about things. I get super cranky about things. And so how I show up, matters because it influences the whole vibe of the whole team. So I love that and I just, I could talk all day about empathetic leadership and why it is like actually the game changer. I know we're not talking about the accounting industry right now, but if we pick that up and plop that into the accounting industry and we think about the way that we've been brought up in the industry, there'd be such limited examples of where we have as we've grown up, right, working for empathetic leaders. It's been very traditional, very sort of, like I'm not saying that we've all worked for a-holes or anything like that. I'm just saying as a leadership style, it's more directive. It's very workflow focused. It's not so much nurturing and encouraging you to develop necessarily. I'm generalizing again. I'm very, very generalizing. And so I do love this idea of wrapping up that sort of empathetic approach and dropping it in. It doesn't mean that you never hold anyone accountable. In fact, it's the opposite. It What I've certainly found in learning about it, adopting it as a style myself as a leader, is you're more likely to build that intrinsic motivation and intrinsic accountability within your team than you are if you're just barking at them, right? And if you're showing up as a grump and all that sort of stuff, I don't think there's anything wrong with being authentic and letting your passion and your emotions come through in what you're doing. But I think we absolutely, yeah, we need to be the boss of how we show up and not try and, I guess, not ruminate around those things that we can't control. Absolutely. And there is this bit in the article as well we've got another person, I can't remember his first name. <laughs> Let's just call him Mr. Fitzgibbon because I can't remember his first name. He runs an Instagram account. It's called Fridays with Fitz. And he talks in there about a few different things. But one of the moments in there is that he says he doesn't shy away from his vulnerabilities and prepared to confront them. And that's exactly what you were talking about, Shay, like sharing that part of yourself when you're doing things and making sure that 
you're honest and a great communicator with your team, that's what makes the difference today with leadership. And I think psychological safety is like a a phrase that a lot of people use, but I don't think is widely understood, but that's what it's about. It's about when you are in sharing some of your own things that you're challenged by, that you've failed at, that vulnerability piece, you do create that psychological safety where your team can be like, do you know what? I got it wrong, but it's okay because I learned. And I know that Shay knows that I've learned and she's helping me use that. And I think that is the difference between really good leaders that I see today and potentially the the leaders that we were exposed to growing up in the accounting industry way back in the day, way back in the day. (laughs) Yeah, we've come quite a little way since then. I actually remember, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I do remember being employed by somebody a very, very long time ago. And one of the sentences in my employment contract was something like, just remember, you're lucky to have a job. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started. And I also remember working for someone who would constantly say, yeah, but when I did it, I had to do it the hard way too. And I felt like saying, I just want to slap you. <laughs> don't know violence, don't know violence. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh my. Move on, move on, people. I think we might be at time, Beck. I, I think, think so. That think- was quite a bit of a journey today. We've gone from everything best on ground, worst on ground, accounting, not accounting, soccer, motorsports, women in finance. I mean, what else can we do today? I know. What a juicy episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, tuning in to Reality Check with Shay and Beck. If you do have any suggestions or any things you'd like us to talk about or like, I don't know if you just like our views on something or if you've got a rant of your own that we can share. We always love a rant. Please send those in. You can find Beck and I on the socials. And I hope you have a fantastic week and we look forward to you tuning in to our next episode. See you, Beck. listening, everyone. Bye. Thank you again, listeners. Beck and I would love to hear from you. We'd love your ideas. We'd love your feedback on everything, anything. We love all of it. I can be reached on Twitter, Shay underscore Thaya. So that's S-H-A-Y-E underscore and on LinkedIn, Shayfire. And I can be reached on Twitter and LinkedIn, both at Rebecca Mahalik, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-M-I-H-A-L-I-C. From the trenches. trenches.